Let's turn together to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read verse 16 through 18. 16, 17, and 18. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Let's pray. Father, we again thank you and praise you for your steadfast truth, your steadfast love that endures forever. As the psalm Brad read earlier, Lord, we praise you, Lord, and you are worthy to be praised because of who you are. We are so fickle. We are so weak. But you are strong, Lord, and we thank you for, for this. Lord, thank you for this time that we're sharing together this morning. Thank you for the privilege it is to pray together and to sing together. Thank you for the privilege it is to look at the scriptures together. I pray that as we look at this passage, Lord, this very difficult passage, but a, such an important passage, I pray you would help us, Father, to understand it. I pray that you would enlighten our minds. You would clear away the gunk that gets in there. You would clear away the baggage, Lord, that we've built up over the years in this life. And you would help us to see things as you see and to understand things as you understand, Lord. Teach us, I pray, by your Holy Spirit this morning, and draw us out of our old ways, Lord, into your new way in the Spirit. May you be honored and glorified, we pray. That's what we desire, Lord, in our times together, and that's what I know each one here who knows you, Lord, desires in their own lives. We desire to give you glory, Lord. So please do a work in us this morning by your word in our hearts and mind, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm going to tell you a terrible joke to start this sermon off. A man was walking down a country road, and as he was walking down this country road, he saw a farmer standing out in the middle of a field, doing nothing. And as he kept walking, he looked at this farmer, and he was intrigued because the farmer was just standing there, not doing anything, not moving, just standing there in the field. And he thought that was funny, so he called out to the man and he said, Hey, what are you doing out there in the middle of that field? And, he, and the, the farmer responded to him, I'm trying to win the Nobel Prize. And the man called out to him, How? You, how? And he says, Well, they give them to those who are outstanding in their field. <laughs> Ba <laughs> I told you it was a terrible joke. <laughs> Understanding the meaning of things is important, isn't it? Understanding the meaning of things is important. Now, the passage before us that we just read, Galatians 5, 16 through 18, introduces 
the single most important exhortation and, pres and prescription for the Christian life. The passage that we read introduces the single most important exhortation for the Christian life or prescription for the Christian life. In other words, when it comes to living the Christian life, when it comes to living the Christian life with the, in the remaining time that we have here on earth, Paul cuts through all the confusion that has been built up around living the Christian life, all the opinions that we've heard of, all the myriad of self-help methods, and he boils it all down and he concentrates it all on this one thing. He brings us to one core fundamental issue right here. And he calls it, or he says this, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. This is primary. This comes before everything else, and it underlies and affects everything else. Do you believe, brothers and sisters, that you cannot take one step forward in sanctification? You cannot take one step forward in progressing in the Christian life if you do not walk in the Spirit. Do you believe that? I don't know if we really do. Sometimes we, I think we all would say we believe it, but I don't know if it really hits us that this is the primary thing. This is what it all really boils down to. And if we fail to do this, then we fail in every other area of the Christian life. It all comes down to this. If you get this wrong, the Christian life is, is not able to work, and we end up living just like non-Christians. Now, when I say we end up living like non-Christians, I don't mean we end up living like uh, people out there who are just totally reckless and careless with their lives. I mean, even... I mean religious non-Christians. I mean people who are trying, their, trying to do their thing in this world, trying to carve out a nice life, trying to be a good person. If we do not walk in the Spirit, our lives will essentially not be Christian lives, but they'll just be like non-Christian lives. But if we can get this right, then everything else will fall into place in the Christian lives. We will live like Christians, which Paul is here showing us is actually a supernatural life. The Christian walk is a supernatural walk. It's by the Spirit, which is a supernatural thing. Now, who wants this? Who, would, who wants to walk by the Spirit? Who wants to live the Christian walk and live the Christian life the way that it's intended to live? Who wants to be sanctified? Who wants to live a life uh, where you are uh, getting victory over sin? Who wants to live that life? and walk in the joy of the Lord, and bear the fruits of the Spirit. I think when we read Galatians 5, 22 and 23, all of us who are Christians say, yeah, that's the life that I want to live while I'm here on the earth, right? I want to have love, joy, and peace in my heart. I want to have self-control and gentleness and patience towards others. We all want that. Well, if you want that, brothers and sisters, you have to walk in the Spirit. There's no other way. Last week, Paul emphasized again, as we are looking at verse 13 through 15, that we are free. It's for freedom that you've been called, he says in verse 13. But he alerts us in that verse also that there's a right and a wrong way to use our freedom, or a right and a wrong way to live our lives with that freedom. We can live in that freedom as Christians, or we can live in that freedom as everybody else does. 
they of course don't have the freedom, but we would live like them even though we exist in the freedom that Christ has brought us. But Paul's point here is that God did not give us the freedom that we have in Christ with the intent to leave us as we, as we were. He didn't save us and give us eternal life and give us this beautiful freedom, which remember, this freedom is about freedom from the law, freedom from our sins, freedom from death, freedom from fear. He didn't give us that just so we would carry on living the way that we were, but he wants to change us. The Bible says this in many places. He died for us so he could purify us and make for himself a people who were zealous for good works so that we could serve him without fear. So, we can use this freedom or live in it in the right way. And Paul says in verse 13, we can serve one another through love. Or we can live in this freedom in the wrong way. And he says in verse 13, something that we might be surprised about. He says, we can live in this freedom and give opportunity to the flesh. This would be the wrong way to live our Christian lives. Giving opportunity to the flesh. Which is a surprising phrase because we might think that he would say, now don't use your freedom to sin. But he doesn't say that. He says, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And last week, last Sunday, we talked about this, that the flesh is not your sinful nature. Paul is not just saying, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for your sinful nature. We discussed how the term flesh carries over from the rest of the letter, and I can't go into it all today. Of course we should not sin. Of course we shouldn't use our freedom to sin. But Paul is getting to the root of the problem, why we sin. He wants, he wants us to see why is it that we sin. And it has to do with our old way of thinking and our old way of living, which is all about the flesh, which is all about the law, which is all about self-reliance, self-trust, self-power, which is not able to subdue sin. And so Paul goes to the root here in verse 13. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity to the flesh. And I admit that this is a difficult concept, this word flesh and this concept of the flesh. In fact, many scholars have pointed out, and I think they're correct, that the term flesh is the hardest term to define in the New Testament. That's what many scholars say about that word. And so it is a difficult concept. And we'll talk a little bit more about it, a little bit more about it today. Hopefully we'll see it in a clearer light. And I'll be adding new levels of understanding to it today as well. But today our focus will primarily be on the opposite of the flesh, which is walking in the Spirit. The opposite of giving opportunity to the flesh, walking in the Spirit. We'll do three things this morning. I'll make some general observations about what walking in the Spirit is. And secondly, we'll discuss how it is commonly defined. We'll look at how it's commonly defined. And then lastly, I'll propose a definition of what it means to walk in the Spirit. Did I say walk in the flesh? Okay, good. <laughs> Walk in the Spirit. I'll propose a definition. So we'll look at some general observations, then how it's typically defined, and then I'll propose a definition. Verse 16, walk in the Spirit. I say walk in the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. And as I've already highlighted, and I'll highlight it again because it's so important, this is the core issue. This is the fundamental prescription for living the Christian life. Now, how many of you get up in the morning and you think, today I need to walk in the Spirit, and you focus on that? That's the thing that I need to do today. I would suspect probably most of us don't, right? 
Maybe we get up and say, what are the things I need to do today? Okay, and we think of all the things. What are the things I don't need to do today? And walking in the Spirit doesn't, come, doesn't even get through our mind, doesn't even come into our mind. A dear friend of mine once said, if I could just understand what walking by the Spirit means, I would have the key to the Christian life. He knew it. He, he was struggling to understand sanctification and what it means to live the Christian life. And he knew it came down to this. If I could just understand this, I would have the key. And yet for many Christians, walking by the Spirit is a very vague and, un, and ambiguous thing. Kind of like, use the force, Luke. You know? <laughs> We need to walk by the Spirit, Christians. What does that mean? Use the force, Luke. What does that mean? And I think for many Christians, it's a very vague and ambiguous thing. We don't typically have a very good definition of what walking by the Spirit is. And so it's hard for us to do it when we don't even understand what it is. I'd like to make seven brief observations about what walking by the Spirit is in the language here that Paul uses. First of all, walking here is obviously figurative. When we're talking about walking by the Spirit, we're not in any way talking about any kind of physical walk. So it's not how you walk, how you take your steps and put your legs in front of, in front of you. This is a figurative expression. It means how we live our lives, how we govern our lives, how we regulate our lives. And that was a common way of speaking about our lives in the Jewish worldview. The rabbis talk about how we walk. The Old Testament talks about how we walk, and it doesn't mean physically how we walk, it means how we live. So that's an obvious observation. Another observation I'd like to make is that there's actually no preposition or article in the Greek. So while our English Bibles say usually walk by the Spirit or walk in the Spirit, there's actually no article or preposition there in the Greek. Literally, in the Greek would read, Spirit walk, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Spirit walk. Of course, the cases in the Greek imply uh, some of the things that aren't there. And so there is flexibility in our preposition. Some Bibles will say walk in the Spirit. Some Bibles will say walk by the Spirit. My point here is don't push those prepositions too far. Don't put so much weight in them. The idea is we're to walk and our walk is to be regulated by the Spirit. Perhaps the best translation is walk spiritually. I like that translation. Walk spiritually. Third observation is this, that here we see that sanctification or holiness in the Christian life is an active and not a passive thing. It's an active and not a passive thing. Have you ever heard Christians who talk about sanctification as a passive thing? And they basically say, if you want to be transformed in your Christian life, if you want to live a life of holiness, then it's all about being passive. It's about, here's the famous phrase, letting go and letting God, right? Just let go and let God. Stop striving, stop trying, just stop and let God do it. That's not what Paul says here. He says that if you want to live the Christian life, you need to walk in the Spirit. That is active not passive. Letting go and letting God is such a useless phrase that people who give us that advice always end, us up, end up giving further advice, don't they? <laughs> you need to let go and let God. I'm trying. Well, here's also what you need to do, right? 
because that just doesn't really do anything. So that's my third observation. Sanctification is active and not passive. If you, brothers and sisters, are not actively pursuing sanctification, are not actively walking in the Spirit, then your life will not change. Fourth observation, the Christian life is fundamentally, the Christian life is lived fundamentally in a positive and not negative way. It's lived in a positive and not a negative way. What I mean by this is that it is primarily about doing something good, not about avoiding something bad. The Christian life is primarily about doing something good. What is that good thing? Walk by the Spirit. There's a positive prescription for us in the Christian life. Walk by the Spirit. Positive. Do something good. Not just don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. Many Christians live that kind of a negative, with that negative mindset, that that's what the Christian life is all about, and it's not. When we get up in the mornings, it shouldn't be, what am I not supposed to do today, but what am I supposed to do today as a Christian? Fifthly, this statement, walk in the Spirit, is in the present tense, which means that it's something we are being exhorted to do by Paul constantly and not intermittently. When he says walk in the Spirit, he means in the present, be always walking in the Spirit. This isn't something you do sometimes. This isn't something you do once in a while. This isn't something you do three quarters of your day. This is something Paul says, hey, if you want to live the Christian life, you need to walk always by the Spirit. Every day, every hour, every minute. That sounds really hard, doesn't it? But the Bible tells us to do such. Even in the Old Testament, God says, when you get up in the morning, when you sit down to eat, when you're walking about your day, when you're at home with your family, when you lie down at night, you're to be constantly meditating upon his law. And so walking in the Spirit is something we do at home, at work, at play. We don't have to put it aside in anything that we do. Now, some people will think, well, does that mean you don't do anything else, right? So the Christian life is only walking in the Spirit and you don't do anything else. And they misunderstand that walking in the Spirit is something you, it's foundational. It's something that you build upon. You can be playing and be walking in the Spirit. You can be eating and walking in the Spirit. The Bible says that you can, you are to do all that you do to the glory of God. So it's not either you walk in the Spirit or you go to work or you go to sleep or you go play. It's something that you do while you're doing all of those other things. So it's to be constant. Sixthly, this exhortation is for everyone. For who is Paul writing to? Is he writing to the, only the pastors at Galatia, in the province of Galatia? Is he writing to the monks? No. He's writing to all the Christians in the churches of Galatia. And so this prescription for the Christian life is for you and it's for me. It's not just for pastors, evangelists, and missionaries. It's for everybody. So this is something that you can take to heart and take home and say, this is what God would have me do as a Christian. And so we don't excuse ourselves and say, well, that's just for other people. And last obser general observation I'll make is notice the result in verse 16. That if you walk by the Spirit, you will not mostly carry out the desires of the flesh. Is that what it says? 
He, he makes an absolute statement here in verse 16. It is not if you walk in the Spirit, you'll for the most part not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Or if you walk in the Spirit, it'll be just, it'll go better for you most of the time. But he makes this absolute statement that if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh. What a, what a statement. What an absolute statement. And so if we carry out the desires of the flesh, brothers and sisters, what's the reason? It's because we are not walking in the Spirit. So if we carry out the desires of the flesh, and we'll talk about what that is in a moment, it's because you're not walking in the Spirit. There isn't an excuse because if you walk in the Spirit, you won't carry out the desires of the flesh. You can't blame other people or blame the devil or blame other things. It's because you were not actively, positively walking in the Spirit if you carry out the desires of the flesh. And so we can see, brothers and sisters, just from this, these general observations, that walking in the Spirit is the key to the Christian life. It is the whole crux of the matter when it comes to how we live our lives as Christians. And I want to exhort each and every one of us here to make it our goal and our passion in life to understand what this means to walk in the Spirit and to walk by the Spirit and to, and to seek to walk by the Spirit our whole lives. Do you think that's a good goal as Christians? And let me just say that again. I'd like to exhort each and every one of us here to make it our goal and our passion to understand what walking in the spirit means and to make and to strive to do that for the rest of our lives can we say yes that is a worthy thing for us to do for the rest of our lives as christians and that's what if you can take that away this morning even if you disagree with my proposal of what walking in the spirit means this morning at least take that away this morning this is really important this is what i need to be doing with my christian life i need to understand this and i need to do it what is it therefore? I'd like to just share some popular definitions of what walking in the Spirit is. I don't believe these definitions are helpful, and I think they misunderstand Paul. But here are the common ones. Here are the ones that I think you'll commonly hear if you Google it, if you read a book on it, if you talk to your Christian friends about it, and you say, what is walking in the Spirit? In my experience, this is what is typically said, and I've gathered some quotations and some examples. I won't give any names, but here is from a prominent evangelical pastor in this country. Quote, our task, as Jesus put it, is to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Or, as Paul said, to walk by the Spirit. When we do that, we all get to enjoy the fruit. Notice what he said here. He held up Paul's statement of walk by the Spirit. He juxtaposed it with Jesus' statement, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And that is basically, in his mind, what walking in the Spirit is. So, walk in the Spirit. That's the crux of the Christian life. What does that mean? Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. All those things need to be explained too. But notice the negative spin that's put on that. That walking in the Spirit is primarily a negative thing. Deny yourself. Don't give in to your sinful desires and your sinful passions. Take up your cross and follow Jesus in the way of denial. And I'd like to suggest, brothers and sisters, that this 
is not what walking in the Spirit is. That's negative, not positive, and I also don't think that's going to work. How many of you know that if you were to get up in the morning with this prescription, deny yourself, take up your cross, if you do that, you will produce the fruit of the Spirit. Does that work? Has it worked for you? Here's another one. Just These are for us to think about and to consider. Quote, Walking in the Spirit means being obedient to the Spirit, to the laws and commandments which the Spirit brings to our remembrance when temptations come. What is walking in the Spirit? Well, when you're tempted to do bad, the Spirit will bring to your remembrance the commandments and the laws of God. And walking in the Spirit is obeying the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit is keeping the commandments. So here we do have a positive spin on it. Walking in the Spirit isn't a negative thing. It's positive. It's keeping God's commands that the Spirit reminds you of. But here again, really walking in the Spirit just becomes boiled down to keeping commandments. Is that what walking in the Spirit is? Here's a third definition of, what walk, of walking in the Spirit. And actually, I think this is probably the most common kind of explanation. Quote, This phrase means to live each moment dependent on the Holy Spirit, sensitive to His voice, and obedient to Him. That's probably the most common definition of what walking in the Spirit is. And it really has two elements, dependence and submission. Dependence and submission. The idea here is this. To walk in the Spirit is to get up in the morning as a Christian and to realize, first of all, that you are weak and that you can't live the Christian life apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. So you make that realization. Okay, got it. God, I know that I can't do this and I need your help and I need your power. So far, so good. Typically, that is explained in these books as prayer. So start your day by praying and asking God to help you, asking God to give you the strength, asking God to empower you throughout the day. Then, the second part, not just dependence, but submission. Then you begin to live, your, live out your day. You've already recognized your weakness. You've already prayed and asked God for help. Then you begin to live out your day. And you are sensitive to his voice, which means you're listening to what the Holy Spirit has to tell you. He's telling you to do things. And you're obedient to him. And typically, wow, this is explained is like the other, like the other ways I've just, I've just noted, that the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind commandments or things not to do or things to do, and you obey, you submit. And if you don't submit, well, you're not walking in the Spirit. I call this the GPS definition. It's kind of like a GPS. When you get into your car, you pray, God, help me. Please help me have a safe drive. Please help me get to my destination. Then you start driving and you listen to the Spirit GPS. In 0.2 miles, turn the other cheek. <laughs> right? So you're living your day and the Holy Spirit's there and then something's about to In 0.5 miles, forgive that person. And what tends to happen when you don't submit recalculating <laughs> right recalculating all day <laughs> the gps definition you pray you ask god for help you get in the car you listen to the spirit you try to do what he says and you find yourself not doing does anyone have any experience with that definition have you ever done it that way have you ever thought that's what walking in the spirit is you get up in the morning god i need help please help me you go about your day Situation arises, Holy Spirit's telling you, you know what to do now in this situation, and you blow it, right? 
how many people would say that that's perhaps how they've been living the Christian life? That's basically what they're, what they're doing when they're trying to walk in the Spirit. I'd like to just ask you, has that worked? Or at least have you said that, yeah, that method has, has made me feel like I'm living the New, New Testament life? Those things are good. Dependence, prayer, and obedience. I'm not trying to say those are not good things. Um, what I am suggesting this morning is that that's not what Paul is meaning here when he says, walk in the Spirit. Although I think that is our common thought and experience, and that's why we often feel like we're not living the life that the New Testament lays before us to live. Now notice back in the text, Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, or sorry, verse 18, that walking by the Spirit is indeed being led by the Spirit. In verse 18, we have this statement, if you are led by the Spirit. And so it is true that walking in the Spirit or walking spiritually is related to and inseparable to, inseparable to being led by the Spirit. You are taking directions from the Spirit. I don't deny it. But here's my question this morning. What is the direction that the Holy Spirit gives to us? When we are being led by the Spirit, where does the Spirit lead us? That is the question I want to ask. And I think that is the question that typically gets assumed by Christians. Okay, walking by the Spirit has to do with being led by the Spirit, being sensitive to what the Spirit is saying, but we tend to just assume that means the Holy Spirit is a second conscience or a moral GPS that just alerts us again to the commandments of God and says, okay, now's the time not to do that. Okay, now's the time to do that. And we think that's what his direction is. But what is that direction? I think it's clear from the text that the direction of the Holy Spirit and when we're led by the Holy Spirit, it's something other than just the Spirit telling us about the commandments or telling us to be patient or telling us to be self-controlled at that moment. Because according to the text, it's by walking in the Spirit that we are enabled to be patient and to be self-controlled. Look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit, that is, what will result if you walk in the Spirit is patience and self-control. So walking in the Spirit can't be, be patient when, Christ, when the Spirit tells you to be patient. Then you'll be walking in the Spirit, and then you'll produce patience. Because, other, because that's just really uh, jumping over the whole step of walking in the Spirit and just getting right to the patience part. Do you, does that make sense? So walking in the Spirit is the foundation of the fruit of the Spirit. It's the garden that the fruit of the Spirit grows in. It's not simply the Spirit telling you to be patient or to be self-controlled. And what's interesting in verse 18, Paul makes this statement, which is really quite amazing. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now that is a statement that to the Galatian readers would have been quite surprising. In fact, he's writing this statement because he is informing them of something that they were confused about. Because in their mind, they were thinking, if I'm taking directions from the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to lead me under the law. That's why they're going back to the law, because they think that's the right thing that, to do. They think that's what God 
wants them to do. They think that's where the Spirit is leading them, back to law, back to commandments. That's the way to live the Christian life. That's the way to produce the fruit of the Spirit is to submit yourself to the law. And Paul makes this radical statement. He says, no, actually, if you're being led by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit, he won't lead, lead you under the law. You're not under the law if you're being led by the Spirit. The Spirit never, brothers and sisters, leads you to put confidence in yourself. Never. Or to be self-reliant or to rely on your own strength and your own obedience. And so I'd like to propose this morning that walking by the Spirit is not about obeying commandments that the Spirit brings to your attention throughout the day. But that this whole flesh spirit conflict and antithesis that we see here in chapter 5 is actually about two different universes that we can live in. Two different realms of existence. Two different creations. And walking by the Spirit is about setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. Setting our minds upon the universe of the Spirit, if you will. And when we do that, we receive new desires which neutralize the desires of the flesh. That's my proposal. You don't have to agree with me. But that's my proposal, and I'd like to just flesh that out a little bit more. Is it true or false that every Christian exists in a new reality? Is that true? true. Every Christian lives in a, in a new reality. We live, according to the New Testament, in Christ. And the Bible tells us that when we become Christians and put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we become new creations. That's what the Bible says. So if you're a Christian, you're a new creation. The Bible tells us that we don't belong to the old creation anymore. We don't belong to the world anymore. We don't belong below anymore. But we're in Christ in a whole new universe. And sanctification is not a return to the old ways of doing things, but with a new GPS. Sanctification is not a return to how we've always done things, you know, try to obey, but now we've got a new GPS to help us, a new conscience to help us. Rather, the Holy Spirit is directing us to a totally new way to live in a whole new reality. And from this reality, or from setting your mind on the truth of who you really are in Christ, out of that will flow forth the issues of life, the fruit of the Spirit. I'd like to uh, flip around a little bit here in the New Testament and just read some passages that relate to Galatians chapter 5 and walking in the Spirit. And I'd like to draw this out, draw our attention to the idea that walking in the Spirit is about the two universes or two creations that we can set our minds upon. And turn with me to the book of Romans in chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, we have here an explicit definition of what walking in the Spirit is or walking by the Spirit. An explicit definition. This isn't me making it up. This is Paul saying exactly what it is. I mentioned earlier my friend who said that 
if he could just understand what walking in the Spirit means, he'd have the key to the Christian life. He really agonized about it. It was when he finally saw here in Romans chapter 8 what Paul says it explicitly is, that the light went on for him, and he realized that's it. And look at Galatians chapter 8, verse 4, and Paul has just finished talking about how we could not keep the law because our flesh was weak. We did not have the strength to obey the law and subdue the sin that is within us. And he just finished saying how because we couldn't do it and we couldn't subdue our sin, God did it by sending Christ to die on the cross for our sins and to bring us righteousness as a gift that we couldn't work for or earn. And he says here in verse 4, so that the requirements, he says, Christ died on the cross so that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So here's Paul is talking about the flesh and the Spirit again. If you read all of Romans 8, you'll see lots of parallels between Romans 8 and Galatians 5. And then look what he says in verse 5. Here's his explanation. For those who are according to the flesh, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, it's implied here, they set their mind on the things of the Spirit. So remember, walking is a figurative statement. We're not talking about literally putting your leg your legs in front of each other. But we're talking about setting our minds on the things of the flesh or setting our minds on the things of the spirit, which makes us ask, well, what are the things of the flesh? What are the things of the spirit? Flip two chapters back to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 4. Paul has already told us something about the things of the flesh and the things of the Spirit. And I want you to notice in this section that he talks about the old creation and the new creation. In verse 4 he says, Therefore, we have been buried with Christ through baptism into death. He's talking about all who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who have trusted in him for their for their righteousness and for their justification. Something happened to you when you believed. Something more than just God cleaning your slate. I hope that you don't think Christianity, what happened to you when you got, when you got saved and what happened to you when you put your faith in Christ is simply that God cleaned your slate. Nothing else changed, but he just cleaned your slate. He took the file cabinet and threw it in the ocean. He did that, brothers and sisters, but he also did more according to the New Testament. And here's something he says, that we actually were buried with him. How many of you remember that? I don't. I don't remember getting buried with him. But it happened to me, according to the New Testament. According to God, I was buried with him in baptism through death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now we have a new life to live because we've been buried, dead, and raised with him. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Notice in verse 6, knowing this, referring to the mind, that our old man was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we shall live with him also, 
knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death has no more mastery over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. And we might say, that's great for Jesus. He died to sin once for all. He lives now to God without any sin or death to worry about anymore. That's nice for him. But then Paul says in verse 11, ah, that's nice for you too. Because in verse 11 he says, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so what he's saying is, is that what happened to Jesus is now true of what happened to you as a Christian. He died to sin once for all. You died to sin once for all. He rose and lives unto God now without having to worry about sin and death anymore. You are now alive unto God, and you don't have to worry about sin and condemnation and death anymore. And what does he say in verse 11? Consider it, or reckon it, or think about it. It's all to do with your mind. Your old man is gone. The old you, the old creation, what you were apart from Christ is gone. And now you are a new creation in Christ without having to worry about condemnation, sin, and death anymore. But you need to reckon it and put your mind on it. And so here we have a connection between what Paul says in Romans 8, which is set your mind on the things of the Spirit if you want to walk in the Spirit. And in Romans 6, he's telling you something of the, of the things of the Spirit. He's saying, here's something to set your mind on every day. Get up in the morning and remember that you are dead with Christ to sin. Get up in the morning and remember that you are risen with Christ and you are alive unto God. And sin and death have no mastery over you anymore. That where Christ is and how he relates to God, so do you. Now, how many of us do that? Not many, I don't think. But that's the key. And turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read, a, I'll read one passage from Ephesians and one from Colossians. And I'd like us to notice this old creation, new creation antithesis. And that Paul tells us that we are to put our minds in the universe of the new creation. In Galatians chapter 2, uh, sorry, Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Ephesians. Ephesians. Thank you. <coughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Paul now tell, he reminds the Gentiles that he's writing to that you guys used to live a particular way. And you know why you used to live that way? Because you used to think a certain way. And here's what he says in verse 17. I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. So notice how the walking is related to the mind. How you think is how you walk. You want to walk according to the Spirit, you need to think according to the Spirit. Here's, what, here's the problem in verse 18. They're darkened in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And what's the result of all this? They become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Bad thinking leads to a bad walk, leads to all sorts of nasty sins. But when you became a Christian, you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught 
just as the truth is in Jesus. This is what you were taught, verse 22, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old man, there's the old man again from Romans 6, which is being corrupted in accordance with the desires of deceit. The old man is corrupt because of the desires of lies, the, the desires that lies produce. And that you be renewed, where? In the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, the new creation, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Now, I don't believe Paul is telling us here, you need to stop sinning and start living righteously and, whole, and live a holy life. He's telling us something much more fundamental and mysterious, that you need to, in your mind, put off the old man and put on the new man. Stop living in the old creation, under the law, self-reliant, without Christ, and put your faith in Jesus Christ and realize your union with him, realize you're a new creation in Christ. That's the difference, and that will make everything else change. Colossians chapter 2. And then after this, we'll go back to the Galatians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. And I want to suggest that all these passages we're reading are talking about the exact same thing. And they're talking exactly about exactly what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter 5. Colossians chapter 2, verse 18. And notice again the similar ideas. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen. And what's his problem? Inflated without cause. He's proud without any reason to be proud by his what? Fleshly mind. The guy has a mind of flesh, a mind that's set on the things of the flesh, on the old creation. And not holding fast to the head, Christ, from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth which is from God. Now here, notice he says again, old creation, new creation. Verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why? As if you were living in the world. Paul says you're not even living in the world anymore if you're a Christian. Your life is not here anymore. What you see is not what you get. Your life is somewhere else, as we'll see in just a moment. Do not submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These things, these are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Paul says, if you walk by the Spirit, you won't, you will not satisfy the desires of the flesh. Here he says, man, if you try to, in a fleshly way of thinking, just try to subdue your sins and subdue your, the, the things that the flesh produces, it's not going to work. You have to think differently. And here's his, here is his positive prescription in chapter 3 of Colossians. Verse 1, here, notice, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above not on the things that are on the earth. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are of the earth. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit, not 
on the things that are of the flesh. 4 verse 3, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And it sure doesn't seem like you've died when you look at yourself with your physical eyes. But if you've put your faith in Christ, you have died. Where is your real life? It is with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, you will then be revealed with him in glory. And Paul goes on to say in the verses to follow, and I won't read them, he goes on to mention the old man again in verse 9 and then the new man in verse 10. Actually, let's read it, verse 9 and 10. Do not lie one to another since you have laid aside the old man with its evil practices and have put on the new man, which is being renewed to the true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. And in verse 11, that is the image where Christ is all and in all. Do you see a similar pattern here? That walking in the Spirit is setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. And the things of the Spirit are the things that are above, not the things that are below. And one is walking in the Spirit when he's setting his mind upon the new creation and not upon the old creation. Thinking of who he is in Christ Jesus and not who he is apart from Christ Jesus, which is, I think, what we typically do. Let's go back to Galatians chapter 5 here. And Paul's idea here, and I'll just briefly finish with this, is that there are these two universes that we can set our minds upon, two worlds, two realms of existence, the old and the new, the above and the below, the flesh and the spirit. One is a Christless universe where all there is is law, sin, death, and all you're left with is human self-reliance and your own human strength. And the other universe is the universe of Christ, where the realities are grace, righteousness, and life. And there is no confidence in anything else but in God alone. And these two universes enable us to have two different mindsets. And both mindsets spawn and provoke desires that are opposed to one another in Galatians 5.17, Paul says that the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And they're opposed to one another. So you cannot do the things that you want. Now, what this is, how this is normally taught, friends, is that there are two, there, there's a struggle within you. This is what's normally taught. Is that within every person, there's a struggle. You have a flesh nature and you have a spirit nature and they're fighting inside you all the time. But I think rather this is talking about two different realms of existence that produce two different desires that are opposed to one another and that provoke opposite desires. It's not that you have two different natures inside of you, but there's two different mindsets that oppose each other. To give you an example of how different mindsets can produce different desires, Buddhists desire nirvana, right? That's what they want. How many of you want nirvana? Let's just be clear on what nirvana is. Nirvana is the extinguishing of all suffering, that sounds good, by the extinguishing of yourself. So suffering will cease when you realize that you don't exist and that you're not actually a real thing. And so the Buddhists desire nirvana. They want to be extinguished. Why? Because they want rest from suffering and that's their mindset. That's their worldview. That's the way that they think the world is. 
They think the world, the reality is that they don't actually exist. Their existence is an illusion, and it's causing all this suffering. And so because that's what they think, therefore they desire nirvana. Now, I, as a Christian, do not desire nirvana, right? I don't want to be extinguished. I share a desire not to suffer. I also want peace. But my worldview is different. I want peace through the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. I don't think suffering is simply caused because I think that I'm real. But suffering is caused because of sin. And the solution is not extinction, but salvation in Jesus Christ. Our different mindsets and worldviews produce different desires. How you think affects how you desire, and therefore it will affect how you live. And I think this is what Paul is saying, is that there's two different ways to think that will produce two different ways of desiring and living that are opposed to one another. And now I'd like to propose a definition of walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit means setting your mind on the things of the Spirit, the things of Christ, the things above, where Christ is at the right hand of God, where we are dead as Christians, buried and risen with Him, where we are new creations in Christ, where we are blameless before God and we are delighted, we are, we are God's delight, where He takes delight in us where we are not under law, but under grace. Now, mo uh, we Christians would agree with this, but how many of us actually think about it and fill our minds with it constantly? And what happens is when we set our minds on these things, this mindset enables us to see that we are loved, to see that we have hope, to see that God is taking care of us. And what springs from this kind of a mindset is the fruit of the Spirit, love for God and others, joy, and peace, and all the other things of the fruit of the Spirit. But walking in the flesh is when we set our minds on the things below. We're not thinking about the fact that we're blameless in the sight of God. We're not thinking about the fact that we're dead, buried, and risen with Christ. We're not thinking about the fact that our, we're a new creation in Christ. We're, we're thinking and regulating our lives just as if there wasn't a Christ. Just as if everything on the old creation and the old man was reality for us where you think that you're under law, you think that you must rely upon your own strength and resources, you think that God is displeased with you on a daily basis, you think that he doesn't delight in you because he sees you as a sinner. And this mindset produces fear, anxiety, depression, and hopelessness. And what comes from such a mindset is all sorts of misplaced desires. Then you start grasping for other things that you think will make you happy or bring you peace, but only hurts you and hurts others that are around you. In chapter 6, verse 8 of Galatians, Paul says it's really a matter of simple horticulture. You sow to the flesh and you reap from the flesh corruption. You sow to the Spirit and you reap from the Spirit eternal life. And so I just want to close this morning with this. Exhortation. Make it your goal and your passion to understand what it is to walk in the Spirit and to do that as a Christian for the rest of your life. It's so important that we understand the meaning of things because if we don't understand what it means to walk by the Spirit, we're going to end up like that farmer standing out in the middle of his field 
What are you doing? I'm trying to win the Nobel Prize. They give them to those who are outstanding in their field. And we as Christians will be trying to walk the Christian walk, trying to make progress in the holiness of life and sanctification. And if we don't understand what walking the Spirit is, we'll be like that farmer not knowing what we're doing and not getting the results we want. We'll be fighting the wrong battle, even though we want to live the Christian life. We'll be fighting a negative battle rather than a positive one. We'll be fighting a passive one rather than an active one. Or we'll be thinking we're, the Holy Spirit is directing us just to keep commandments rather than the Holy Spirit is directing us to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. I do confess, brothers and sisters, that this is a very hard concept to understand. And I agree with most scholars, this passage is really hard to understand. But I'm almost certain that the battle of sanctification isn't merely about sinning and not sinning, but that it is about our minds and whether we're walking with our minds on the truth or whether we're walking with our minds in, in lies. Whether we're walking with our minds in the truth of the gospel or whether, walk, or whether we're walking with our minds in the wisdom of this world, Paul is showing us here that the gospel of righteousness through faith is superior in the ethical realm than what the Judaizers are offering them, this way of law and legalism. So the question is, will we walk spiritually or fleshly? Will we daily live our lives in the truth as it is in Jesus, or will we live our lives not thinking about the truth, but thinking only about the, what, what this world tells us? I think for many of us, it's just the truth is so wonderful that it's hard to put our minds upon it. But that's what we need to do. So may we dedicate our entire lives to this fundamental thing as Christians, to learn what it is to walk by the Spirit and to do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this prescription. Again, I pray that you would help us to understand, correct our thinking, and teach us the way to live our Christian lives. Thank you that there is a way, Lord, that you've given to us to overcome flesh and sin. Thank you, Lord, that everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. And I pray that you would just remind every Christian believer here today that they are their true life is with Christ in the heavenlies and that you delight in them right now, not because of anything that they've done, but because of what Christ has done for them. Lord, fill each Christian with joy and peace in believing this wonderful truth. May we reckon it every day. I pray this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.